Good morning, church. I uh, hope that you had a wonderful and restful Thanksgiving break. Now that the holiday has passed, I want to be the first to invite you to start listening to Christmas music. If you're one of those people that listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, uh, we will be praying for you after the service. Uh, my name is James. I'm one of the elders here at Soma Midtown. I have been longing for this holiday season in a different way this time of year. It has been and continues to be a very intense year with some of the hardest moments of my life and the lives of those in our community. In the same sense, this year has uh, been a year of unexpected and great blessing for me and others in this community. Yet, I still find myself longing for this season because I think as the year ends, I can walk into a new year with new expectations, fresh perspectives, and a restored hope. Now, this morning is the first Sunday of the Advent season, which the church recognized as a time to remember our longing for the birth of Christ. This morning, we're going to talk about a few people in the Bible who were full of expectation for the fulfillment of God's promise and how God's mercy and grace blessed them through their challenges. My hope for us this morning is to be reminded of these three things. Expect God to keep his promises, that God's grace and mercy marks our lives, and God's blessings for us are not only for us. Expect God to keep his promises, God's grace and mercy marks our lives, and God's blessings for us are not only for us. Our passage this morning comes from Luke chapter 1. And there are two stories in this chapter, one that focuses on the prophesied and eventual birth of John the Baptist, and the other is the prophesied birth of Christ and Mary's response to the prophecy. This morning, we're going to focus on John the Baptist's birth story. We will come back to Mary's story in another sermon. And given the way that Luke has written uh, uh, chapter one, the stories are interwoven together. I wish we had time to embrace these stories uh, this morning because the contrasting responses from Zechariah and Mary when Gabriel tells them of the good news of their baby's birth and examine uh, what that means for us. But we don't have that time this morning. All that to say, I'm going to summarize portions of this passage and then read directly uh, from other portions of our passage. So uh, we're introduced to Zechariah and and Elizabeth, both are righteous followers of the Lord who observed all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. However, they were childless because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. Zechariah was serving and praying in the temple when an angel appeared to him. We'll pick up the story here in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. So the angel Gabriel declares that he has been sent by God and that this proclamation is good news. Due to Zechariah's unbelief, he has made silence and he is unable to speak. He is told that he will stay silent until John is born. When Elizabeth becomes pregnant, she recognizes that God has favored her. The promised son John is born nine months later to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Neighbors and relatives come together to share in the joy of John's birth. On the eighth day, as it was customary, the community came to circumcise the baby and plan to name him after Zechariah. Elizabeth dissents and declares that his name will be John, which the text does not make clear why or how she picked that name. Some assume that Zechariah revealed through writing on a tablet after he returned to the temple that the baby's name should be, should be John. John. Uh, regardless, um, uh, the, the naming of John or picking that name has confused the community because there is no one in their family named John. The community makes signs to Zechariah to find out what he would like to name the child. Zechariah writes on a tablet that the baby's name is John. He regains the ability to speak and praises God. The community was filled with awe and began talking about what happened to others throughout the, throughout the country. Again, we pick up this story this time in verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he said through his holy prophets long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he publicly appeared to Israel. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. I want to start with examining Zechariah and Elizabeth. The text says that Zechariah was a priest Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron, a high priest uh, uh, back in, in Moses' day. Both were righteous in the sight of God. They observed all the Lord's commands faithfully. The text says that they were blameless. In my study of the text, I thought, what a great couple to pick to bless. They're going to receive this well. Everyone's going to sing and dance. It's going to be great. But then the text says that they were childless and very old. Not just old, very old. On the heels of describing positive characteristics, there is a tone shift at the word but. 
And it's here that I want to press. I, I read this passage in six different translations, and all of them have this tonal shift. The setup bothered me because it sounded familiar. Personally, having accepted Christ's sacrifice, I and Christ's followers are seen as blameless and righteous in God's eyes. So I could say that I'm serving the Lord, walking according to his commandments, but I live in a time that there is injustice. I'm serving the Lord, walking blamelessly, but I have a persisting ailment. You may find yourself at a similar place this morning. You're serving the Lord faithfully, but there is an ongoing challenge that no matter what you're doing, you are unable to overcome, and that is preventing you from experiencing a blessing from the Lord. For Zechariah, we see him continuing to serve faithfully. And for us, there's a lesson that regardless of our challenges or obstacles, the Lord is still good enough for us to serve, praise, and worship him. I want you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to that later. As Zechariah is serving in the temple, an angel, we later find out this is Gabriel, comes to him with good news. God has heard Zechariah's prayers, and not only he and Elizabeth, uh, not, and not uh, only is he and Elizabeth going to have a baby, but that baby will be the fulfillment of the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah as a frontrunner for Christ and a preparer of the people for the Lord. Again, this is good news. And Zechariah being a priest, he would have been well studied in, in what we call the Old Testament. He didn't call it the Old Testament. We call it the Old Testament. He would have known this passage that we find in Isaiah 40, starting in verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This right now in Luke 1 is the fulfillment of that promise. There is an angel. People are praying. God is listening. And Zechariah's response is, how can I be sure of this? I grew up in a church. We talked about faith in God all the time. The name of the church was Faith in God Christian Deliverance Church. We would talk about how God listens and answers prayer. I remember one of the prayers I used to pray fervently and consistently was, God, let me dunk a basketball. I thought that this was worth bending the ear of the Almighty. I would promise God, God, if you let me dunk in a game, I'll stop after it happens and drop to my knees and worship you. For years, this went on. Till one summer game, I dribbled baseline, I rose up, and I dunked on this guy. And there was one second after I landed of extreme joy. And then I got back on defense because the game continued. Dunking a basketball in a game is not uncommon, especially in high school. And I remember thinking, God is going to break my ankles because I did not respond in the way that I had promised. What is that thing that you are expecting and longing for God to do for you? And provide you a community of people that love and care for you. Provide financial and economic means, a new job, a new home. Provide health for yourself or your family. 
Have you determined how you would pay God back if he would answer you? Have you determined how you would react in gratitude? More recently, last November, I was in Tucson for a conference, and early in the morning, having only slept a few hours, I get a call from my wife, and she says that she's pregnant. In a similar way as other monumental things in my life, I had prayed for a baby. Allison and I knew that there would be potential for difficulty due to health to get pregnant, stay pregnant, and have a baby. We had accepted that it would take years and potentially not work out as we had planned, that it may never happen. So I get this call in Tucson, and again, for a second, there is unbelievable joy. But then I say to my wife, are you sure you didn't just eat a big burrito? In the book of acceptable responses to your wife telling you that she's pregnant, that is not one of them. Now, remember this priest, Zachariah, is also human living with the reality of serving faithfully and blamelessly, but. And his response to an angel of the Lord could have been shaped by that reality. What we must realize is that this blessing to Zechariah was not contingent on how he acted. God's grace and mercy covers him in this moment. And we might be asking ourselves, why? Now, there's something else that bothered me about the language of this passage. Righteous, faithful, blameless. These words were words that were so familiar. In Genesis, we see God, Abraham, and the covenant. The covenant was an agreement to Abraham that his descendants would number the stars in the sky or the sand of the beach. There would be a land to worship God freely and a generational blessing. This is what God promised Abraham. Abraham and his descendants, amongst other things, were to walk blamelessly before God. Genesis 17 says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I, might, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now, I do not know if people told Zechariah and Elizabeth that they were righteous and blameless like Luke is describing them to us. However, Zechariah would have known the story of Abraham, how God talked to Abraham and, uh, and told, told him that Sarah would conceive in their old age a son, that it would be the beginning of the fulfillment of a promise, of a covenant. At the, at the very least, you would think that Zechariah would have made the connection Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron, the first high priest, who was a descendant of, guessed at Abraham, that moment that he finds himself in, this prophesied promised moment has very little to do with Zechariah. Yet he finds himself lined up with something extraordinary that God is choosing to do in his life and in the life of his wife. God is keeping his promises we see that Zechariah has lost his expectation for God to do that. And the moment that he had been probably dreaming about for many years. Now, when I was younger, one of the things I was told to look for as I studied the Bible was the pairing of grace and mercy. I was told how they would always show up together. Grace is getting something we, we do not deserve and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. If we have a quick Bible study, and take a pause to have a quick Bible study, 
we find grace in the passage uh, in, in verses 13 through 17. And there we see the promise of a son when Zechariah and Elizabeth were well past their age. See, the fact that this could have happened in another generation in this family line. Remember, 400 years, 400 years have passed since the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So many lives within this family tree have been lived and lost during that time. So Zechariah and Elizabeth did not deserve for it to be them any more than another couple in this family line who served the Lord faithfully and were blameless. So I'll ask you, where in this passage is mercy? Now, if this was a missional community, uh, this is the part where everybody looks down at their Bible and doesn't make eye contact with me. So if you want to do that. God's response to his people doubting him takes on different forms. And if you ask why, it's because he's God. On one hand, you have people like Gideon, an Old Testament judge who twice challenges what the angel of the Lord said, and it worked out okay for him. And on the other hand, you have instances where we see God's fury rise against people when they doubt him. In referring to the children of Israel, we, we read Psalm 78, starting in verse 17, yet they sin still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved they spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. The section ends with the psalmist saying that God's anger rose against them and he put to death the young men of Israel. So we have, again, on one hand, God allowing the back and forth. And then on another hand, we see discipline. The mercy for Zechariah is that he did not die. He was not removed from the story permanently. Instead, he was made silent for nine months that Elizabeth was pregnant. Nine months. You have this earth-moving event happening in your life. This is a celebration of winning a championship. This is a celebration of graduating from that degree program. This is the wedding. This is everything. And for nine months, you can't say anything. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Zechariah recognizes this in his spirit-filled proclamation later in the chapter after he regains the ability to speak he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The earth he swore to our fathers, uh, to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to be able to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. It came all together for Zechariah and had led to praise the covenant, the redemption, the salvation, the mercy, the enduring and fresh and new, each morning mercy of the Lord for his people. He experienced how God kept him and his wife, how God fulfilled 
the promises he made generations ago, how he fulfilled the promise he made nine months ago. Saw all this, came together. God keeps his promises. God extends mercy and grace to us consistently and abundantly. The last point I want to make quickly is that we are blessed to be a blessing. The expectant and long-for blessings were not for Zechariah and Elizabeth alone. Let's look back at verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. This is Gabriel talking about John. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Gabriel is saying that John is not a blessing only for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Although God chose to use Zechariah and Elizabeth to bring to the world John the Baptist as an answer to the, as an answer to the prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth, John would serve as an answer to so many other prayers. 400 years the people were looking for a sign, expecting a sign that the prophecy would be fulfilled and that the covenant would be fulfilled. For us, are we seeing the things that God has blessed us with as instruments for his glory by blessing someone else? I'm not talking about the thing that you have but don't really want uh, that you think someone else could use. I'm talking about the blessing or the blessings that God has given you that you have been trusting and praying and crying out to God for. How do you see that or those things as instruments for his glory? At the time of this recording, I have not been told by an angel that Emma, my daughter, is the preparer of people for the Lord. But I do ask myself, How will I respond when God calls her to whatever he has planned for her? You all know that my track record isn't the best, so I need to keep that in front of me as prayer. When God has given my wife and I this blessing, this little sweet baby girl, he calls her to do whatever he has for her in her life. We don't want to stand as roadblocks to that. We want to joyfully and openly release her to follow the voice of the Lord. And for a group of folks, you may feel like you haven't been blessed. There is still infertility. There is loneliness. There are real needs and challenges that are deep and difficult. It would be wrong for me to read into the text and say, walking blamelessly and faithfully before the Lord equals receiving the thing that you have been hoping for. 400 years passed, and God was silent. How many of the people were blameless? How many of the people needed healing? How many people suffered injustice? Where was their grace? Where was their mercy? I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their response to a king seeking worship 
from his people as if he were God. These men were worshipers of the Lord, and when confronted with the decision to worship the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar created in defiance of God, or to worship God and face death in a fiery furnace, the three men said this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But if he does not. I said this earlier that there is a lesson that regardless of our challenges or obstacles, it's a lesson for us that the Lord is still good enough for us to serve, praise and worship him. I can make an argument that God doesn't do, that if God doesn't do another thing for you, for me, he has already done enough. Now that doesn't remove the reality of the pain in this moment, but if we choose to serve him through that pain, we choose to look beyond these moments. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The promise of the eternal glory is the grace and mercy that has been secured in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Advent is all about. The fulfillment of a covenant made by God with God to provide a way for restoration when we were still sinners and far away from him. Advent is a time of expectancy and preparation. We are reminded in this passage that God keeps his promises. So we can expect great and wonderful things from him. He has given us a great gift in Jesus Christ. It's a time to reflect on how God continues to show mercy to us amid our shortcomings and limitations. This is a time to be thankful that God's mercies are new every morning and that his steadfast love never ceases. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for your grace, which is abundant to us. We thank you for your mercy, which is new to us. God, we thank you for keeping your promises. God, we thank you for blessing us, and I pray that with those blessings, we'd be open-handed uh, with, with those in need, as you call us to do and, and to meet those needs. I pray that this time would be a time of reflection and expectation for what you will do and what you are doing and what you continue to do in and through us and the people that we love. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.